You're listening to Oh No Lit Class. Dead authors, fresh takes, and the epilogues you never knew you needed. to Oh No Lit Class, the podcast that doesn't want a lot for Christmas. There is just one thing we need, and it's cash, preferably in small, unmarked bills. I'm Megan. I'm the reason for the season. (laughs) RJ. Yeah? Yeah? I'm sure that won't come back to bite us in any way. And welcome to the Oh No Lit Class Holiday Special Spectacular thing Woo. santa i guess have a crazy kwanzaa yeah well shana tova yes no matter no matter what win- winter time thing you may be celebrating as we're recording this Yule. hanukkah is upon us hanukkah but that kwanzaa. that won't be a thing anymore by the time this comes out ramadan all the things all the winter time coldness celebrations solstice I don't know when that is. Other non-denominational <laughs> holidays. The, the p- p- pagan thing. I don't know. Here at Ono Class, we celebrate all of them. By and... by reviewing two stories about Christmas. Well, you know what? There's not a whole lot of classic, uh, widely known celebrated literature about other wintertime festivities. Yeah, let me tell you a story. So these people. Yeah. The Mc- McApplebee's. <laughs> Uh, that reminds me. They were... If you want to do a Jewish pickup line, you gotta say, "Hey, baby, are you one of the Israelites? Cause you're a Maccabee." Anyway, the McApplebees, they were scared of the dark, and there was a really big eclipse coming. Like Nickelodeons, are you scared of the dark? Yeah. Ah. And uh, big eclipse was coming like for like eight days. Yeah. And they were like, "Oh shit, we only got oil for like one day." How'd they know that a big eclipse was coming for like eight days? The Mayans. It was on the calendar. Ah. Um, and so the McAppleby's are like, oh, damn. Oh, damn. <laughs> We're going to have to be in the dark for seven days and uh, leader McAppleby. Is this in the Old Testament? The, Mac- the McAppleby said, oh, damn. King McAppleby. <laughs> Mayor McAppleby. Mayor McAppleby. <laughs> he devised a plan to take the oil that was only going to last one day to magically last eight days. How do you do that? Magic. Jewish magic. Some say it's the most powerful magic of all. Oh, they are the chosen people. They win every Penn and Teller fool us. But you didn't know, 100% of the people who fooled Penn and Teller, descendants of the McAppleby's. That is not even a little bit true. Yeah, but uh, unfortunately in terms of widespread or widely known canonized classic literature holiday stories, the Pickens, they are slim. And uh, so today we are here to bring you not one, but two Christmas Christmas time story things. I didn't even bother to look to see if there are Hanukkah stories. Uh, (laughs) No, can you not? Hold on. Clifford celebrated Hanukkah and we are not reviewing this? Wait, Clifford the Big Red Dog (laughs) was Jewish? I never knew. (laughs) Clifford celebrates Hanukkah. Elmo's little dreidel. Wait, is Elmo Jewish too? He had a little dreidel. I don't know how I feel about counting Elmo as a member of the Jewish faith. Happy Hanukkah, Curious George. We got them all. I don't care. You're just reading children's books about Hanukkah. Oh, we're about to talk about two children's books. No, they're not children. No, they're not children. They're not like little plastic cardboard children's books. I guess the Magi might be. Eh, it might be. So, RJ. So, what's your favorite part? Of the holiday season. Peppermint bark. Peppermint bark. Peppermint bark. All right. I can, you know what? I can I can go with that. Peppermint bark is a, a good thing. Hey, Megan. Yarja? What's it like being a Jew that celebrates Christmas? Uh, the best. What's of... your favorite thing about it's, it's, the holidays? It's the best of both worlds. What's your favorite thing about the holidays? My favorite thing about the holidays is ruining Christmas songs for people because Christmas songs fucking suck. Like, baby, it's cold outside, which is about attempted date rape. 
which everybody, everybody's always surprised. They're always like, oh, it's baby's cold outside. It's like a fun, cutesy duet. And they get distracted by like the soothing tones of Ella Fitzgerald, I guess. And you, you don't hear this um, really creepy ass shit. And everybody always thinks that I'm overreacting. And then I tell them to look at the lyrics and she really can't stay. She's got to go away. And he's just like, oh, baby, it's cold outside. My mother will start to worry. Oh, what's your hurry? Um, she's like, I'd really better scurry. And he's like, maybe just uh, half a drink more and put on some records while I pour. And she's like, oh, well, the neighbors might think. And he's like, baby, it's bad out there. And she goes, say, what's in this drink? And he's like, oh, no cabs to be had out there. I wish I knew how to break this spell. She's being roofied. He poured her a drink and he's fucking roofing her. Because he won't let her leave his goddamn house. She needs to kick him in the dick and run. Wasn't known as roofies back then. What are you, he's slipping her a Mickey. He's whatever kind of parlance you would like to call it. And that's that's without even going into walking in a winter wonderland and like the weirdness of building a snowman specifically for the purpose of pretending that it's a person and pretending to have the snowman ask you if you're married. I don't know, like, is it like someone really passive aggressive walking with the significant other and they're just like, in the meadow we can build a snowman. And we're gonna pretend the snowman's Parson Brown and he's gonna be like, oh, are you married? And I'm gonna be like, no, man, I'm not married. And then I guess just aggressively gaze at the other person because that's what Christmas is about. You know who else is Jewish? Hall of Famer Rod Carew. Are you trying to, oh, you gotta at least give some context there. People know it or they don't. I suppose so. You know, the Hanukkah song won't let you down. It's neither here nor there. So we're going to open things up as a aperitif, 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 that thing, to our, our Xmas entree with O. Henry's The Gift of the Magi. More than just a candy bar, I think, probably. Now, there's a very prestigious short story prize. There's the, the O. Henry. Anytime you're ready. I'm waiting for you to throw it over to me, Meg. I'm going to throw it over to you, RJ. Tell us about O. Henry. Oh, Henry. At first, he was merely a candy bar. Ah. But then he was born into the mortal realm, in the flesh, and became a man known as William Sidney Porter. The man, not the caramel and peanut chocolate bar, was born September 11th, never forget, 1862. <laughs> uh, and he died June 5th, 1910. The chocolate bar, and not the man, clocks in at 120 calories per serving. <laughs> What's in an O'Henry bar? I just told you. I just literally said it. I said the man, not the caramel and peanut chocolate bar. It's caramel and peanut. peanut it's a Snickers. Chocolate. So isn't that just a Snickers? Yeah. So an O'Henry is just a bullshit Snickers bar. I believe O'Henry was made first. So Snickers so is, is just a, bull, a bullshit O'Henry bar? Yeah. Okay. Carry on. He was born to Dr. Algernon Sidney Porter, who was not the mouse from Flowers for Algernon, my research concluded. And Mary Jane Virginia Swaim Porter. Mary Jane Virginia Swaim Porter. Mary Jane Virginia Swaim Porter. Same a woman. three times fast. A woman of many names, but not many years. You see, when O was a wee lad of three, his mom died of tuberculosis. Duh. You always say these things in the worst way. Consumption, as the old folks called it. This led O and his dad to move in with dad's mom. She apparently had an extensive library, and O took full advantage of it as he was known as a vivacious reader as a child. You mean a voracious reader? Oh, shit. You know what? That's the word. <laughs> he was a vivacious reader. He's just like, oh, I'm going to read some books. Oh, he could be vivacious. Sparkle he could be eye. a vivacious, ferocious reader. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You want to try that word again? He could be a vivacious, voracious reader. Yeah, was he vivacious, voracious, and ferocious on top of that? <laughs> oh, that's not a B word. Just, well, you said ferocious a minute ago. <laughs> A little bit of both. <laughs> At the age of 14, O graduated from elementary school, which was like an elementary and middle school smushed together. So don't think he was there for too long. He then went on to high school where he graduated in three short years. After that, he began working at his uncle's drugstore, selling drugs and such, as he became a pharmacist at the age of 19. Dang. During the downtime at work, he would sketch the town folk that came and went through the store. In his early 20s, he moved away from North Carolina to Texas, in part to try to alleviate the symptoms of some sort of allergy or illness that he developed. 
He had a persistent cough he could not shake, and so he did the most rational thing possible, move a few thousand miles away. But hey, who am I to judge? Because it actually managed to work. Usually that's what they always recommend, is like go to a different climate. Yeah, they tell you, go out west, air's drier there. In Texas, he continued to work as a pharmacist and began writing short stories. At the tender age of 23, O was at the lane of the cornerstone of what would become the Texas State Capitol. There, he met a 17-year-old girl by the name of Athol Estes. I don't believe you. Athol. Athol. Athol? Athol. Athol Estes. Athol Athol. He wanted her. Her being 17 didn't bother him. Her having tuberculosis didn't bother him either. Her mom, on the other hand, didn't like this one bit. In particular, her dating while she had tuberculosis. Mm, Yeah, I mean, it's not ideal. Well, they ignored mom, got hitched, and started making babies. Gross. After the marriage, O began hopping between jobs. He became a bank teller for a bit. Then he took a swing at working at the Texas Land Commissioner's office as a draftsman. O basically was drawing maps and such for the job. He lost the draftsman job when the governor was voted out of office. And he lost the bank job after he was charged with embezzling money. Whoops. Oopsie daisy embezzlement. He landed on his feet, however, by beginning work full-time on a humorous weekly publication known as The Rolling Stone, not Rolling Stone. Ah. This got him notoriety, which eventually allowed him to turn this into a gig at the Houston Post. Eventually, though, the whole embezzling thing caught up with him. He was given a trial date, which he summarily ignored. Instead, he went on the lam. He went to Nolens, and then he went to Honduras, because that's just the natural way you would go. As one does. Now, Honduras did not have an extradition agreement with the U.S. at the time. So he was kind of chilling, thinking, <laughs> eh, he could wait this one out. But he didn't bring his wife and family with him. Of and course not. Sure enough, tuberculosis girl got sick while in Texas. And he decided to come back stateside to be by her side and was apprehended at that point. All right. At least he came back. He didn't just, like, leave her there. So he got sentenced to five years in the pokey. Surprisingly, it seems as if he never spent a single day in a cell. You see, being a pharmacist, he was able to work in the prison's hospital. So his prison experience was basically just a few years of unpaid labor without having to deal with all that other prison stuff. While in prison, he published numerous works under an assortment of pen names. The one that stuck being O. Henry. The first story he used that pen name on was titled Whistling Dick's Christmas Stocking. (laughs) For real. Whistling Dick's Christmas Stocking. Come on down, get yours today. It's shaped like a penis. Anyway, due to good behavior, he was released from prison after three years. His daughter, who had been eight when he was incarcerated, was now 11. She was being cared for by her grandparents because mom died of tuberculosis. She was never told Daddy-O was in jail. Instead, she was told he was on a really long business trip. Kids, so fucking gullible. Next <laughs> next thing you know, adults will convince them that some obese fat ass in red satin delivers gifts by sliding down chimneys worldwide every year. Kids. You mean he doesn't? After getting out of prison. Wait, wait, you mean he doesn't? After getting out of prison, he moved to New York City where he wrote nearly 400 short stories during the remainder of his life. Many of the stories were loved by readers, but hated by critics. In particular, his M. Night Shyamalanian plot twists were too much for critics, but audiences couldn't get enough. It was a shtick. All these books about Bruce Willis, too. <laughs> it got kind of weird after a while. Bruce Willis celebrates Christmas. <laughs> the gift of the Bruce Willis, the ransom of Bruce Willis, whistling, whistling Bruce Willis's Christmas stocking. <laughs> no, it would be whistling Willis. Oh, Go for the alliteration, come on. Oh my god. So, O loved to drink, and not surprisingly... He got cirrhosis, and that's what did him in. What happens when you drink? It's true. He was buried from whence he came, Asheville, North Carolina, where hipsters can visit him after a big day of drinking craft brews up in the mountains. Fitting. As for the pen name, so O. Henry, according to the man himself, says him and a friend were kind of just looking to make a pen name for him, and they were just looking through... The newspaper, the they came across the name Henry, and he said, that will make a good last name, but I need to find a first name. Then they saw Oliver, which could be shortened as O, and his friend's like, oh, you're a lazy fuck. O is the shortest initial you could possibly write. And O was like, it is, but 
Oliver's too boring. I want to be fancy. I'll take the French version of the VA. He was also living in New Orleans at the time, so maybe that had a bit to do with the French as well. Could be. And so, that is how he got the name of O. Henry. Yep, there you go. Story for the ages. Story for the ages. Uh, So, O. Henry has some good short stories, as, you know, we would expect him to. They have a fucking short story prize named after him. One of my personal favorites is called The Ransom of Red Chief, and it's about how... These two criminals kidnap a kid to ransom him only to find out that the kid is just an absolute fucking terror who drives them crazy to the point where they pay the kid's dad to take him back. It's just really funny and good. But the gift of the Magi, I hate this fucking story. Megan hates happiness. I do. It's true. Or maybe I don't. Maybe I just hate how, like, utterly pervasive it is. I mean, it's nowhere in saturation level in comparison to A Christmas Carol, which we'll get to, but it's close. There are are a lot of just adaptations and parodies and things, and there's a My Little Pony fucking Friendship is Magic Gifted the Magi episode. I just want to throw that out there for everyone. If you're not familiar with the plot, it's pretty simple. In fact, it's so short and simple that we can give you the Oh No Lit Class production of it. You'll just have to close your eyes and imagine the lavish set design and cutting-edge CGI effects for yourself. Unless you're driving. Then, you know, don't don't close your eyes, please. Keep them open. Get a Tesla, you poor fucking bastards. <laughs> Speaking of poor fucking bastards, so here we go. The Gift of the Magi, as performed by the Ono Lit Class players. Hey, Jim, we sure are poor as hell, right? Oh, yup. Okay. Oh, yup. (laughs) I love being poor. (laughs) Yep, we're about as poor and sad a couple as they come, but we do got two things going for us, right? Okay. (laughs) No. No. Nope, no two things. Nope. I can't count that high. Why is he a hick? Why ain't he a hick? He's just... Okay, (laughs) he'll be really monotone. I'm Jim. I hear we have two things for us. (laughs) Yes, yes, Jim. We have my long, beautiful, flowing hair and your shiny... uh, We do. Your shiny gold watch that's been passed down to you from your father and his father, etc. Daddy. Uh, Why am I married to you? (laughs) But it's Christmas Eve and neither of us have any money to buy gifts because, as previously mentioned, we are just so dang poor. We're so poor. I want a divorce. Can I? I need a better gym in here. I, I'm gonna divorce you. I'm gonna marry a better gym. Let's bring a better gym in here. Oh yuck! No, not you again. No, go new one, new gym. So fine, I'll take it. Word. <laughs> I know. I'll sell off all my hair, cause that's a thing I could do, I guess. Bitchin'. And I'll get a hot twenty bucks for it, which is over five hundred dollars in today money. Yo, man, Holy that's like shit. Such an Andrew Jackson. That must be some hair. Word. Okay, you know what? This isn't working out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna need a fresh gym. What? Come yeah, on, yeah, man. No, no, go new gym. Hello. Okay, you seem fine. I'm gonna use this money and. I'm blind. <laughs> Great. I can't use this watch. <laughs> I think I'll sell it. I can't see the watch. <laughs> I should be able to get a few bucks for it. New gym. Sub him in. Nope. Nope. This is the gym I'm stuck with. It, it, it's kind of key to the story that he'd be able to see. Wow. Gotta check that privilege. It's not really privilege. It's it's There's key components here that require Jim to be sighted. I'm Jim. How are you? Uh, well, I'm gonna be great now because I'm gonna use this money that I got for my hair and buy a fancy watch chain for Jim's fancy watch so he can stop using, like, string or whatever the hell he's going on now. Because I have $500 that I'm not putting towards rent for some reason. You're great on my utility bill. Yes. Yes. And then, uh, Jim comes home and sees Della. Della says, Oh, Jim, I hope you'll still love me, even without most of my hair. I sold it all to buy you this watch chain because Christmas makes us do stupid things. By the way, don't ask me how much it was. Oh, my God. 
You look just like my mother, Martha. <laughs> Why are you saying that name, Jim? <laughs> but I have something I have to tell you. Yeah? I sold my utility belt and watch to buy you hair clips <laughs> and combs for your hair. Well, shit. But it's okay, though. Even if these expensive gifts are now functionally useless, the real gift we have is love. I could use the chain to flagellate myself. Is that the word? Yeah, that's that's the word, I'll, Jim. I'm going to flagellate myself. With the $500 watch chain. With the $500 watch chain while I comb my hair. <laughs> my long, beautiful locks. I'll take my cow off. You're not even Batman anymore. I don't know what you're doing now. And uh, that's the gift of the Magi. Now, to be fair... So who was just, the Magi? Oh, um, was it me? Uh, was it you? I, I guess we were all... I think the real Magi was the friends the we made along the way. Uh, so to be fair, there's a lot of fun writing in the story, and the narrator is entertaining as someone who is sympathetic, if extremely amused, at the plight of this young couple who are love-struck to the point of stupidity. But yeah, the moral at the end essentially amounts to the, the real gift of the Magi of friends we made along the way, or the, the gifts the Magi gave the baby Jesus... Which were like what rocks? They were rocks, right? So I don't know. Never were, read the Bible. They were. I think they were rocks. Mer. Mer. Yeah, mer. Mer. That sounds right. M Y R H H. Yeah, mer. That's that's like mana. Sure. That uh, it didn't matter because it was all they had to give. I think. I don't know. I've never read the Bible either, so I don't know. Uh, but one of the things that bugs me so much about the story is that it doesn't work. Della, the wife, she'll actually get to use her gift eventually because her hair's gonna grow back. She just can't use her combs right now. And Jim has lost his watch forever and he's just got this stupid fancy chain that costs an obscene amount of money and serves no purpose. So not only is it an overly sentimental piece of sugary holiday fruitcake, it's not even an accurate moral. Like, oh, they sacrifice the things that's most important to them to buy the perfect gifts for each other. Yeah, but Della's hair is coming back. Is it's not like she lasered it off or something. That's why I think the gift of the Magi is dumb. And that's my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. Darje, you got any thoughts on that you want to add? I think it's time for Finance with RJ. Oh, oh, okay. oh God. <sighs> Holiday gift giving. All right, it's on topic this time at least. Don't do it. Wait, what? You have an easy out. Don't buy into this capitalist brouhaha. The reason for the season is family, friends, love, kindness, rocks. <laughs> Give them what little baby Jesus got. Myrrh. Think small. They gave him shit other than was myrrh, Fra Frankens, Frankincense, Frank Frankenstein. Frankenstein? Frankenstein. Give them Tinkle. the book of literature. See, Frankenstein's a good one to give because it's in the public domain. You can print it out for free. It only costs you paper and ink. And if you go to a public library, you can print it out for free. Tell them, I want to expand your mind. There's a perfect gift for you right there. An RJ special. Here's, and, here's like several hundred loose sheets of paper. <laughs> and you can recommend they listen to this podcast. It Well, then it's free for you, free for them. And it'll make them laugh. The gift of laughter, a pretty good one. In short, don't let the holidays throw off your savings plans. Remember, Dick, and the other acronyms I've used over the weeks. <laughs> shit I just made up and promptly forgot about. What was the one last time? I'm not gonna remind you. Dick was a few episodes ago. Yeah, do you remember what Dick stood for? Divest? No. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. Uh, Dick was... Oh, diversify. Diversify, invest, invest consolidate, consolidate, and kill. Murder. Um, what was the last episode? No, I'm not telling you. You just have to put up with it. I'll have to pull it up then. Oh, God. It was Licketh. Oh, Licketh. <laughs> yeah, so remember to Dick. Or remember to... Remember to Dick. Remember to Dick, kids. Remember to Licketh and Dicky. Anyway, before anyway. we go off, don't forget to Dick. Don't forget to Licketh. And all the other great advice you've got in here for free on financing with RJ. I think the only other thing you've ever given people in the way of financial advice was don't shave your beard and don't bury your gold in the backyard very sound advice <laughs> don't sell your hair don't sell your blood don't sell your grandpappy's watch but i who's, do want who's you... selling their blood oh 
your hair and your butt are kind of connected. Um. How's your DNA? Um. <laughs> don't tell your semen either. You know, I was just about to go off and do that. I'm glad you warned me against it. Just don't sow anything from your body. So this holiday season, I want you to remember, love yourselves. Love to feel money in your wallets. And maybe while you love your friends and family, they're not worth it. <laughs> Keep your goddamn money to yourself. You go get them that myrrh. You go tell them, go listen to this podcast of ours. Or you go to the public library and you print out some Poe, some Shelley. Basically any of the books we've talked about, except the ones who are still alive because Megan broke the rules. There are plenty by dead people that aren't episode in the... episode of Finance with RJ. Alright, well, since you sound like fucking Ebenezer Scrooge, that's as good a place for us to uh, change gears and move into that most famous and beloved of Dickens stories, A Christmas Carol. So we return to the world of one Charles John Huffman Dickens, a.k.a. Chuckles Dicklesworth. What? Holy shit. (laughs) I I gotta draw the line. (laughs) The line has to be drawn somewhere, for the love of God. A.k.a. Chucky Large. A.k.a. Chucky D. A.k.a. C-Dicks. Chuckles Dicklesworth. No. Anyway, just so you remember, give you a... A frame of time that we're working with here. Old Chucky D, born February 7th, 1812, died June 9th, 1870. Now we've outlined Chuckles' life previously. All you gotta remember is, is that Chucky went through some hard times. Hard times, my friends. He was a child laborer, for God's sakes. Yep. If you want to hear more about his life, go back to our Great Expectations episode. There... You can not only hear about the life of Mr. Dickens, but also about the exploits of Pippi, Haversham, Magpie, and Scrimshaw, or something like that. Close enough. So, what I want to focus on in particular is on the time around A Christmas Carol was written by the man who I recently learned is the man who invented Christmas. Yes! So, there's a movie adaptation that's it's currently in theaters at the time of this recording. I don't know if it will be when the, this episode comes out, but yes, it's called The Man Who Invented Christmas. It's a wacky, family-friendly wintertime romp concerning how Dickens came up with A Christmas Carol in, like, the six-week deadline he was given. We haven't seen it, though it looks cute and inoffensive. Where Christopher Plummer, as a particularly curmudgeonly Mr. Scrooge, wandering around just harassing Charles Dickens and sort of haunting him as he tries to write the story, which, when I like that trope in uh, movies, I think it's a fun way to visually represent the writing process. But I gotta say, though, like, the man who invented Christmas is a pretty lofty fucking title. Like, what, Christmas wasn't real until Charles Dickens wrote about Tiny Tim? Is, is Is Tiny Tim the Christ child? A couple things were going on at the time this novella was published in 1843. First, Brits at the time were re-examining all this Christmas nonsense. There were some new traditions like Christmas trees and some old traditions like caroling that were falling out of favor. A lot of people credit Queen Victoria and her husband Prince Albert for giving us a lot of the Christmas traditions we have today. Christmas trees probably being the biggest one. Prince Albert was from Germany, and Germans apparently loved trees and forest, and so he made her put one up in the castle, and soon everyone had to copy the queen. The queen ate turkey at Christmas, so everyone needed to eat turkey at Christmas. And the queen ate sweets, so everybody had to eat sweets. Additionally, the Industrial Revolution was well underway, whereas cards, especially those in color, were priced way above what the common man could afford in the past, the printing press made that shit cheap as could be, which ushered in the annual tradition of people sending very tacky holiday cards far and wide. So whereas Christmas was just a ho-hum kind of thing entering the 19th century, good old consumerism and industrialization managed to save it from the old scrap heap. Yay, capitalism. While this was going on, Charles hit the streets and did some good old-fashioned journalism about the big to-do before settling in and writing A Christmas Carol. By this point in his career, Chuckles was well-established as a voice of the poor and the underrepresented masses in the jolly old U of K. During this time, he toured a number of factories. United of Kingdom? Yeah, U of K. During this time, he toured a number of factories, such as tinning factories, where he found the children of the poor working in horrendous conditions. He saw the underbelly of the country and did not like 
what he was seeing. Dickens began working on a pamphlet he titled, An Appeal to the People of England on Behalf of the Poor Man's Child. He stopped working on it, however, believing there might be a better way to reach the masses than a serious-sounding pamphlet. He took what a biographer called a white heat of anger and focused on writing a novella that would make the English populace open their hearts to those on the lower rungs of society. He wrote A Christmas Carol in a short amount of time, really in just a matter of weeks. Uh, people speculate as to who Ebenezer Scrooge is supposed to be. There were a bunch of rich white pricks at the time, and Charles could have used any of them. As there are wont to be. It seems that people believe Ebenezer is a portrayal of one John Yules, who was one ugly mofo. Look him <laughs> up. John E-L-W-E-S. He looks like the real-life C. Montgomery Burns. Oh, no. Yeah, he has, like, this really stretched-out face. Why, why do, like, horrible rich people always look like that? Because they are ugly on the inside as well. Ah. The Christmas Carol was an immediate hit. It hit the shelves on December 19th, 1843, and was sold out by Christmas Eve. Within the first year of sales, there were 13 editions released. Damn. In fact, within a month of being published, illegal copies of the novella were being made. This kind of sucked for Charles, as this ate into the meager amount of money he was making on the publication. Before dying in 1870, Charles did 128 live readings of A Christmas Carol. The novella has never been out of print and has been translated into multiple languages and has been adapted many times for movies, plays, and operas. Because of this novella, Charles has been credited with reigniting the public's fascination with Christmas and adding all the feel-good stuff about the holiday. Family gatherings, seasonal food and drink, dancing, games, and perhaps most importantly of all, the generosity of the human spirit. <laughs> Interestingly, A Christmas Carol was actually not the only time Dickens wrote about Xmas. He also wrote another story called A Christmas Dinner in 1836. And he wrote a story titled The Story of the Goblins Who Stole a Sexton. Okay. Also in 1936. What yes. does that have to do with Christmas? Yes, the story <laughs> of the goblins who stole a sexton. In short, that story is about a gravedigger by the name of Gabriel Grubb, who happens to be a sexton, who has to dig a grave on Christmas Eve. On the way to the graveyard, he punches a little boy. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck, Dickens? And he just punches the little boy just because he's pissed and wants to punch something. And the little boy's there, so he just clocks him. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> While doing what gravediggers do, dig, Grub is visited by goblins that kidnap him, take him to the king goblin, who calls him a nasty son of a bitch, and he is tried for being nasty by the goblins and the king goblin. He is found guilty and is sentenced to being kicked by goblins endlessly for all eternity. Why is this not the venerated Christmas story that we have 10,000, like, cartoons and movies of? That's way better! Eventually, the goblins take pity on him and show him what living a good life would look like, and then send him on his way. He wakes up a changed man. You know, this sounds a lot like a Christmas carol. So, I turn things over now to Megan. I mean, yeah, but there's no, like, child punching and goblin kicking and potentially David Bowie the Goblin King. I don't know. Um, Liberals probably complain too much child violence. Can't show that on TV and some such. I suppose. So, yeah, I mean, like, do I even really need to talk about the, the plot here? It's a fucking Christmas Carol. Well, admittedly, not everyone may have read it. Hello, sir. Can I have some more? That's Oliver Twist again. You can bet your ass they've seen the Muppets version. Or the one with Mickey Mouse. That was my favorite one. Uh, or, <laughs> oh, Christmas! Or you may have seen the one with Captain Picard. Or Frasier, where he's singing. And I mean, in this case, I'm talking about the actors. But I'm willing to gamble that there are Star Trek and Frasier Christmas Carol parody episodes. Uh, or Nicolas Cage. Yeah, you heard me. Or the modern update with Bill Murray. Or the horrifying shriveled raisin form of 3D motion captured Jim Carrey. Wait, hold on. Nicholas Cage was in A Christmas Carol? Yes. Because he's in A Family Man, which is A Christmas Carol. Yeah, he's also in A Christmas Carol. But yeah, no, the Jim Carrey Christmas Carol from that, that weird time when Robert Zemeckis became obsessed with attempting to replicate a human soul via fucking motion capture in like Monster House, Beowulf, Polar Express, 
and Jim Carrey's Nightmare Before Christmas Carol. If your brain had scrubbed the memory of it away like mine had, or if you're lucky enough to not know what I'm talking about, pull the trailer up on YouTube and enjoy the sweet, sweet frizzin' of mocap terror. But anyway, my point is that there are approximately 865,341 adaptations of A Christmas Carol on all of the different forms and mediums that RJ said beforehand. So, you know, fuck me. I guess he did invent Christmas. And now you're giving him a new platform, <laughs> Megan. You are part of the problem. It's true. But hey, you know, maybe you've been locked in a bunker your entire life, and this podcast is your first exposure to the outside world and popular culture, and that's a pretty weird choice for you to make, but... We appreciate you for it, and so we'll do our best. A Christmas Carol, as she is humbugged. On Christmas Eve, we meet Ebenezer Scrooge, an old dude with a name as gross and crusty as his personality. He loves money and hates everything that isn't money, and one of those things is Christmas, because Christmas isn't money. He sounds like a perfect <laughs> financing with RJ listener. Yes, he does. And actually, the first lines in this story of Christmas cheer are about how Scrooge's business partner, Jacob Marley, is super duper dead. The narrator telling us the story really, really wants to make sure that we understand that Jacob Marley is just as dead as they come. Just dead all the way through. There was Marley in me, and now there's just me. (laughs) According to our narrator, this story absolutely will not work if even for an instant we doubt that Jacob Marley is not the corpsiest corpse to ever corpse. Uh, anyway, once we get that out of the way, we can get back to Scrooge and his job as a... So is he a man at a firm of some kind? I I read the short story over again, obviously, to write this. It is not clear. And whatever it is he does, he has at least one employee. I'm pretty sure just one single employee. And that's his secretary, accountant, clerk, person, Bob Cratchit. Bob Cratchit. Just just some very, like, tactilely unpleasant Dickens names so far. Anyway, Scrooge is already in a shitty mood because he begrudgingly agreed to give Cratchit Christmas off, with half pay even. And you know what's fucked up? Like, this is supposed to be a clear example of just, like, the utmost greed and miserly terribleness, but I feel like the workplaces of today are like, yeah, I know, right? Just identifying with Scrooge and shit. You know who didn't get paid for last Christmas? Me. Because I was hourly, and I didn't get paid holidays until after a 90-day probation period. Ho! Oh, 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 Merry Christmas! As the day goes on, Scrooge is cruelly assaulted by caroling children, dudes who want him to donate money to charity, and a nephew named Fred that really wants Scrooge to come enjoy himself at Fred's Christmas party. And uh, Scrooge is like, you know, bah humbug, Christmas is stupid and all about buying stuff, which is stupid because that means spending money. Fred's all like, but what about baby Jesus and goodwill towards men and peace on earth? So Scrooge is like, uh, you're an idiot and your wife's an idiot too, just for good measure. And Fred still wants Scrooge to come to his party, which is weird. Cause like, yeah, if I had an asshole uncle who only ever said mean things to me and was a total buzzkill, I sure would go out of my way to try and spend time with him. Except no, I wouldn't. Cause that's stupid. And you know that Scrooge's will probably says something along the lines of bury all of my money with me like a lavish Egyptian pharaoh. So Fred can't be after the inheritance. So like, what's what's his endgame here? Anyway, the day ends and Scrooge goes home to his terrible sadness house to eat a terrible sadness dinner because he's so greedy that he doesn't even let himself have nice things. And then suddenly a ghost appears. for a while (laughs) it's the spirit of jacob marley bound in chains made of lock boxes and keys and money bags because dickens remains as subtle a writer as ever he tries to tell scrooge that this is the cost of living life like a greedy asshole and that this could be scrooge's future but he's going to be given a chance to repent because because god loves rich old white men i guess hmm but he has to squeeze all that in around all the back sass Scrooge keeps giving him about how he's not a real ghost, but just like a hallucination brought on by bad British food. Harsh. Marley gets tired of this and is like, blah, blah, blah. Three spirits are going to come show you that you're a jackass. See you later, masturbator. And Scrooge is like, whatever. I'm not afraid of no ghost. Let a ghost try and get me. I'll show him. Yeah. Foreshadowing. <laughs> Th- thank you for your contribution. He goes to bed and is awakened by ghost number one, the ghost of Crimbus Past. He looks like an ever-shifting, multi-legged, nightmare baby man candle thing. 
and is like, hi, I'm Magic Holiday Ghost. Let's go see why you grew up to be such a fart knocker. And he takes Scrooge on a journey to the past, where we see that he was a sad and lonely kid with a weird, crazy dad who didn't let him come home for the holidays. And yeah, that's pretty screwed up. And also he had a sister named Fan, who he loved, and is dead now. And he honors her memory by being a dick to her son, Fred. Also, just want to point out here, because pretty much all of the adaptations make a point of having Scrooge be like broken down bit by bit and just sort of being like, yeah, whatever, I was a sad kid, who gives a shit, Tiny Tim can't walk, whatever, and not actually cave in until like the third ghost Chris Angel mind freaks him, but OG book Scrooge has all the resolve of wet toilet paper. Ghost number one has him crying and saying he should give money to like carolers and stuff before they even go on to the next memory. Scrooge ain't shit. So the ghost of Krampus Pass shows Scrooge some more stuff. Sick parties with his old boss, Mr. Fezziwig. That's a fucking Dickens name. Fezziwig? Yes. The beer! <laughs> the Sam Adams one. Oh, well, it's named. this is what it's named after. Who loves Scrooge like his own son. It was super nice to everyone, and Scrooge is like, okay, I get it. But then we see a memory of past Scrooge and his fiancée, Belle, where she accuses him of loving money more than her. And taking a page out of finance and with Arja, he goes, well, uh, yeah. Duh. And then she breaks off the engagement. And present Scrooge is like, okay, I get it, but no. The ghost lastly takes him to present Belle, who has a loving husband and lots of kids in a pony and an iPhone X. And Scrooge snaps and snuffs out the nightmare candle ghost. After this, Scrooge wakes up again to find ghost number two, the ghost of Clambake Present, who's some Seth Rogen-looking motherfucker just hanging out, completely wasted, and wearing a half-open bathrobe and nothing else. At this point, it's unclear if this is actually a ghost or some drunk guy who accidentally wandered into Scrooge's house, but then he grabs old Ebenezer by the hand and whisks him away to the home of Bob Cratchit, who's celebrating Crab Legs Eve with his wife and all the little Cratchits. They are, in the tradition of things, poor but happy. Even little tiny Tim and his unspecified illness that has left him as crippled as he is adorable. Bob proposes a toast to Scrooge because he's just that good a person, although his wife, correctly, thinks that he's an idiot. Scrooge looks at the pre-Guardians of the Galaxy Chris Pratt ghost and is like, hey, so small Ted, is he's gonna be okay, right? And the ghost of Crimson Peak Present is like, uh, no. No, he's gonna be crutching around in heaven pretty soon. So, you know, that's a bummer. Ghost number two then takes Scrooge to the last spot on the tour, Fred's Chrysler Eve party. Not to be confused with his Chrysler Day party. Fred's just a little party animal, huh? Where everyone is having a good time and being full of cheer and other such holiday activities and his friends are like, why are you always trying to get your shitty dick butt uncle to come over? And Fred doesn't really have a reason, but vows to never give up on forcing Scrooge to enjoy himself. So like, maybe he's doing it out of spite? Then it gets weird. Weirder, anyway. You ready, you ready for this, RJ? Very ready. Ghost number two starts to age and get more of like a Jeff Bridges kind of look. And uh, then his robe opens and two kids fall out. Happens. <laughs> Happens? Happens. Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. <laughs> what the fuck? Oops. Oopsie doopsie, two children fell out of my robe. Jeff Bridges tells Scrooge that this is totally not weird because these are symbolic children. And the boy is ignorance and the girl is poverty. And those are bad. Try to use your money to fix them. Ghost Jeff Bridges just gave birth to two symbolic children, but I suppose we're just gonna gloss over that because we got one more ghost to get through and Dickens is on a tight deadline. As ghost number two disappears, Scrooge turns to find the third and final ghost standing behind him, all creepy-like, looking like the Grim Reaper. I'm sure he's nice. Scrooge is hip to the ghost game now and is like, Ah, by process of elimination, you must be the ghost of Corpus Christi yet to come. And silence. And Scrooge tries again. You're here to show me the future if I don't get my shit together and stop being 10 pounds a jerk off in a five pound bag. And still, silence. <sighs> but even so, spooky scary ghost number three takes Scrooge on a magical journey forwards through time to two business dudes talking about a different dead business dude and laughing about what a fuck ass he was and how no one's gonna come to his funeral. And Scrooge, who's been pretty on the ball, about uh, interpreting visions up until now is like, man, who's this guy they're talking about? And what does this even have to do with making me a better person? And Silent Ghost is still silent. Spooky. Yes. Silence is the scariest thing of all. So some would say. Then we see a maid in a pawn shop selling off goods that she admits were stolen off of the dead man. 
She feels kind of bad at first, but the pawn shop owner's like, eh, who gives a shit? That guy was a prick anyway. And Scrooge is like, whoa, sucks to be that guy. Man, I wouldn't want to be him. All <laughs> right? Yeah. Unfeeling, deathly quiet specter, you know what I'm talking about. Up top. Ghost of Claptrap Future does not high-five Scrooge. And uh, is losing patience with how dumb he is. And so he tries to make it really obvious. He transports them to the funeral where the body of the dead man is conveniently hidden under a sheet and no one is there because no one gave a shit about him. And Scrooge is like, yes, okay, I, I get it now. I read you loud and clear, Ghostman. I need to be a good dude or else I'll end up just like this poor asshole. And the ghost is just like, for fuck's sake, seriously? Except he doesn't actually say words. So I'm just assuming he like smacks his palm against his nebulous shrouded forehead. From here, we go visit the future Cratchits, where everything sucks, and also Tiny Tim is dead. I have an extremely visceral memory of watching the uh, animated Disney version as a kid, where Mickey is uh, Bob Cratchit, and in this future scene, we see him crying and leaving Tiny Tim's crutch beside his grave. Holy shit, way to go there, Disney. <laughs> so Scrooge is pretty upset at this and is like, wow, okay, that really sucked, but what's my future? You ever gonna show me that? And the ghost, fed up with this bullshit, just points to a grave in the cemetery that they're in, and the headstone says, Ebenezer Scrooge. Presumably with the epitaph, do you get it now, you absolute dingbat? And Scrooge flips out, and then asks ghost number three if this is a fixed future, or one he has any chance of changing. The ghost apparently doesn't feel like attempting a conversation on theoretical quantum physics and the multiverse theory, and instead just dissolves. Y'all know what comes next. Scrooge wakes up in his own bed and it's Cretaceous morning! And Scrooge is a changed man, hurling piles of money at anyone who so much as looks at him, buying a giant turkey for the Cratchits, showing up to his nephew's party and not being a bastard while he's there, and then the next day at work surprising Bob with a big fat raise. Whoa. See, that's kind of the opposite of what's espoused by financing with RJ. What? You weren't even listening. No. Nope. You were a thousand miles away looking at what on your student computer? emails. Student emails about the final exam. Okay. How are the How are the kids doing with the final exam? <laughs> confused. Yeah. What are they confused about? Many things. Yeah, that's not what this holiday season's about. If someone deserves a raise, they deserve a raise. Yeah, that's supposed to wait for the Christmas season because you don't spend money on gifts. That's not the reason for the season. Well. Presumably, Bob has deserved a raise for, like, a while now. It's not necessarily Christmas-related. It's just Scrooge catching up on what he probably should have been paying him all along. As long as it's not Christmas-related, it's okay. I see. And just so you don't think this was a one-time thing, Dickens shows the real future and that Scrooge keeps on being a good dude. And because of this, Tiny Tim doesn't die. Look. Don't, don't question it. We're basically in the home stretch here. And so from then on, Scrooge is forever filled with the spirit of the Cumberbatch season. The end. And that's a Christmas Carol. I mean, you, you pretty much knew it as it was. It's a little bit more fucking weird than adaptations tend to portray, I think. And that's apparently how Charles Dickens fixed Christmas. Invented. Invented, created, birthed. Right out the birth canal. Christmas. Right out of the chuckle hole. Ew. Gross. God bless Tiny Tim. God, God bless us, everyone. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. It's a miracle on ice. <laughs> what? Yep. Okay. Ho, ho, ho. And uh, I guess that'll about do it for us. On this episode of Odo Lit Class, it really isn't, I mean, unless we want to sit here and be like, hey, Christmas Carol, good or bad. It changed everything. What was that? What was the... It changed everything. It changed everything, everything was changed. Everything was changed. Everything Pe was different. Nothing was the same. Yeah, people weren't treating Christmas like we treat Christmas today. And then this book hits and it all changed. I mean, that really doesn't say whether or not you think it's a good or bad novella. Never read it. Amazing. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what versions of this I've seen. Have you seen the Muppet version? I think it's the only version I may have ever seen. That one, Michael Michael Caine is uh, Scrooge. I was very young. I haven't seen this in over 25 years, if I have seen it. I see. Yeah. See, I, I vividly remember the, the Mickey one. Possibly because you get to see a baby Mickey Mouse fucking die. There you go. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's a Christmas Carol. It's a fucking uh, sappy-ass sentimental story, but you know what? He wrote it for good reasons, and he was a champion of all the, the Cratchits in the world. The Cratchits. God, he had some weird naming choices. Dickens. Dickens, you wacky dude. Okay, you say happens like 30 times. What you gonna do? So we're gonna end this on a high note. This will be the Oh, hi, last... it's me, Jim. I'm back. Go away. No one wants you uh, here. Uh, I, I got some more combs. I saw... You got some more what? Combs. <laughs> what do you have some more of, Jim? Combs. <laughs> Hair products. I sold my testicles. <laughs> That's the reason for the season. This will be the last episode of Ono the Class for the year. So we're just going to preemptively say, you know, happy, happy the holidays, happy, merry, merry the Christmas, and a happy new year. It's starting to look a lot like Christmas. Holy shit. Everywhere I go. Okay. Uh, so yeah, we want to wish you happy holiday times and end of the year, and here's hoping that 2018 doesn't huff as much ass as 2017 did indeed <laughs> i agree that'll about do it for this episode of Ono the class if you want to spread a little holiday cheer in our direction consider subscribing to us on itunes leaving us some ratings some reviews following us on the twitter at Ono the class pod liking the facebook page heading on into the facebook group doing some some mingling some hanging out with people rub some elbows except you know it's digital so you don't gotta worry about if somebody bathed or not that's the beauty of social media really just in general thank you as always to best day for our intro uh typically our next episode would be on january 4th but RJ and I are taking a little bit of a break because we, we may only put an episode out every other week, but goddammit, we have not missed a single one since we started back in February, so give us, give us one. Give us this one. We're so tired. We'll be back on January 11th. To have a safe and happy holiday. And a happy new year. Yes, those things I just said. Yeah, well, I can say too. Ooh, all right, fair enough. Until then, I'm Megan. I'm RJ. The reason that you listen to this. I'm the reason the fucking show gets made. I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> <laughs> Happy holidays. We love you. Bye. Ta-ta. Okay. I'm going to have a big old sip of Kirkland water. Okay. This episode of Ono oh with Class. That's not, that is an audio nightmare and is not going in. No. Horrifying to listen to. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> And RJ gargled to death on the air.